We're going to go to the book of Joshua tonight. Joshua chapter 23 with me, if you would. The book of Joshua in your Old Testament and chapter number 23. <clears throat> if things work out, we'll get on into chapter 24 or some. We'll see how things work out, but that is the plan. Joshua chapter 23. And look with me, if you would, to verse number 1. Joshua 23 and verse number 1. And it came to pass a long time after that the Lord had given rest unto Israel from all their enemies round about, that Joshua waxed old and stricken in age. And Joshua called for all Israel and for their elders and for their heads and for their judges and for their officers and said unto them, I am old and stricken in age, and ye have seen all that the Lord your God hath done unto all these nations because of you. For the Lord your God is he that hath fought for you. Behold, I have divided unto you by lot these nations that remain to be an inheritance for your tribes from Jordan with all the nations that I have cut off, even unto the great sea westward. And the Lord your God, he shall expel them from before you and drive them from out of your sight. And ye shall possess their land as the Lord your God hath promised unto you. But ye therefore, be ye therefore very courageous to keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside therefrom to the right hand or to the left, that ye come not uh, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the names of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them, but cleave unto the Lord your God, as ye have done unto this day. Now leave your Bible open there, because we are going to get further into the chapter, and into chapter 24, Lord willing. <clears throat> and I'm going to preach a message that I have entitled, It's Time to Step Up. Amen. It's time to step up. Let's pray and we'll try to get started here. Father, I want to thank you for the service thus far. It's been a great blessing. Lord, your people are here gathered together. We've sung songs unto you. I pray that it's been a sweet smell and savor. Certainly, we just want you to shine down upon this service, Lord, to be blessed by it. And Father, now that we've read your word and going to get into this message, we need your help. We need liberty to preach, boldness of the Holy Spirit. We need power that only you can give, clarity of mind and speech. Uh, I need some help with my clarity of speech tonight, Lord, and guide and direct. And uh, open the hearts of the listeners, uh, Lord, that your perfect will might be done in each and every life. Thank you for your love for us. Help us tonight, we pray, please, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing, for the reading of the Word of God. And please do be seated. Verse 1 of our text tells the story. Israel had acquired the land that God had promised them, and uh, now their faithful leader, jo uh, leader, Joshua, is old. He's old, and he's preparing to die. Before he leaves them, however, he has some things to tell them about serving the Lord. And to do that, he calls two meetings, the first in chapter 23, and it's held with the elders and the leaders 
of the people. And the second that's recorded in chapter number 24 involves all the people of Israel. And as a faithful old soldier, Joshua prepares to break camp. He wants to encourage Israel to stay on the course for God. And he knows that the, the old guard, the old generation, that is those who knew Moses and Joshua are quickly dying off. And he knows that this new generation is coming along uh, that did not see. They didn't get to see all of the miracles and all the wonders of the Lord uh, that happened back during that time. But before he dies, he wants to remind them of the God they serve, how great he is, and how powerful he is, and what all he can do, he can do. And in these chapters, chapters 23 and 24, there's some valuable lessons for us as well. Uh, we live in a day when many have forgotten about the glory and the power of God. It just seems to be a ritual that a lot of people go through as far as church attendance and membership and living the quote-unquote Christian life. It just seems to be going through their religious duties and all. But there is still a God in heaven. And He still is all-powerful. And He's still working in our midst today. Um, and really, those that have known about such things, the power are becoming fewer and fewer by the day. Uh, we need to be reminded of the power and the glory of God. Our children need to be exposed to His power and to His glory. They, they, they need to know that there is a God that can answer their prayers and is going to be there for them and guide them along the way, just as He has guided people for generations. And these verses tell us what we need to know this evening about keeping God's work alive also. And as we go through this tonight, I, I would ask you to allow the Lord to speak to your heart and allow Him to make whatever changes are necessary in your life so that this dark world that we live in might see the power of God at work in, in His church and in the lives of His people. It's very important uh, that people see that today. Joshua was concerned. And as Joshua grew closer to the time of, of his departure, he sees some things beginning to happen in the lives of the people of Israel and he sees things that, well, he sees things he doesn't like is really basically what it gets, comes down to. So like any good leader, he feels duty-bound to point out these things to the people before he departs. Joshua really had the same duty that preachers of the Bible have in our day today. It's just the fact that when we see error in people's lives, that we have the duty before God to tell them about it. Well, why is that, preacher? Because we love them and we want God's best for their life. We want them to live their life that God has for them. And so there's three things that Joshua fears here. He, feels, he fears their complacency. Uh, verse number six, the Bible says, uh, Be ye therefore very courageous and keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, that ye turn not aside uh, therefrom to the right hand or to the left. Uh, Joshua's afraid that the people of Israel might begin to take what God says for granted, uh, that they know it, but they're not going to do it. He fears that they might become complacent in their walk with the Lord and begin to let things slide in their lives. And sadly, really very sadly, he was right. I mean, that's exactly what happened. That's exactly what they did. I really think that the sin of complacency is one of the most common sins uh, there is among the people of God. We've allowed ourselves to adopt a Laodicean attitude. Uh, that's not a good place to be, by the way. We've allowed ourselves to be satisfied with our spiritual condition. 
And as a result of that, we're allowing things to go unchallenged in our own lives and things that are leading us further and further away from God. Like the Laodicean Christians were neither hot nor cold. We're just kind of lukewarm somewhere in the middle. We know that God doesn't like that whatsoever. This is a genuine situation in the lives of a lot of people today, truly. Uh, many have been bitten by the complacency bug. Uh, no longer do people strive to serve the Lord. No longer do people uh, strive to win the lost and live a holy, consecrated life to the glory of God. Instead, we become very self-satisfied. We're sure that we've arrived spiritually as long as we're doing certain things. But that, my friends, is a very dangerous condition to be in. It's never going to be good to get spiritually satisfied. I said it's never going to be good to get spiritually satisfied. It's never going to be good to get to thinking that we're doing okay, that we're doing enough, that we don't need to do a little more, that we don't need to read our Bible a little more and pray a little more and serve a little more and do things to reach people with the gospel a little more. I mean, it's a dangerous place to be. People sitting in church, well, preacher, I've been saved 45 years. Well, it really doesn't matter how long you've been saved. If you've gotten to a place where you've just kind of plateaued, you're not in a good place. We need to continue to grow. We need to continue to go forward. We don't need to tire of serving God. We don't need to tire of doing what God would have us to do. I mean, it is very important that we keep the fire of God burning in our own bosom, that we would be ready and willing to do whatever God would have us to do. This world will try to shut us down. Other Christians will try to shut us down. Professing believers will try to shut us down. We don't need to listen to any of that. We need to be doing exactly what God would have us to do. I I want to encourage you young people, get on fire for God. Don't be ashamed on being, don't be ashamed of being on fire for God. Don't be ashamed of standing up for Jesus and be a soldier of the cross. Don't be ashamed that you're the spiritual one, that, that you're the one that's reading your Bible and you're the one that's doing what's right. You're the one that won't listen to the dirty jokes. You're the one that's not going to watch stuff you shouldn't watch. You're the one that surrendered your, your uh, cell phone. You're the one that's going to do right. Don't be ashamed of that. Mercy sakes alive. God needs some good soldiers out there. But he not only feared complacency, he feared compromise. Verse number seven there says, Behold, I've divided unto you by lot. Uh, no, I'm sorry. I'm having trouble, a little trouble with my eyesight. Verse seven, that ye come not among these nations, these that remain among you, neither make mention of the names of their gods, nor cause to swear by them, ne- neither serve them, nor bow yourselves unto them. He fears compromise. Um, he, he's afraid that the people of Israel will decide to follow the dead gods of Canaan. And, and he's warning of that. He fears that they're going to compromise their standards and, and bow down to the idols. And again, as if the man could see into the future because what he was afraid would happen did happen. It did happen as time rolled on. But what about us? Uh, can't we be just as guilty as the Israelites? I mean, have not the people of God given their affection to other gods? No, 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 certainly no. Many, many worship the gods of self and the gods of success and the gods of materialism and the gods of career and the gods of sports and on and on that could go. The truth is many, many are guilty of compromising their lives. We allow ourselves to indulge in activities that we know God disapproves of. We do things that we know are wrong and try to justify it by saying, well, you know, so-and-so does it. And all the while, we'll stand in church and smile and sing, oh, how I love Jesus. But it has a hollow ring to it. I mean, how, how, how we need to avoid the, the trap of compromise. Are you doing things today that you used to think were wrong? I, I, and if so, remember, God hasn't changed. 
Not at all. It, it must be you. You've compromised your standards to the will of the flesh. Uh, we have to be careful. Remember what the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 22. It says, abstain from all appearance of evil. We are to do our best to separate ourselves from this world unto a holy God. But he also fears a lack of uh, commitment. Verse number 8 says, but cleave unto the Lord your God as ye have done unto this day. He fears that their commitment will become less than it should be. And that they'll not hold on to the Lord like they should. And once again, we see from the history of the nation of Israel that Joshua had every right to be concerned. And with these two other problem areas, really there's a, a word here for the church as well. Because it's become painfully obvious that in recent days that the commitment of many is not where it should be. People are scared of commitment. And it really... Uh, it really baffles me to an extent because we'll commit ourselves to buying a house or buying a car. We'll commit ourselves to paying credit cards. We'll commit ourselves to a job. I mean, you know, where we're going to get money for being there and doing it. But we have a God in heaven that saved our soul. That gave us a place to dwell with him for eternity. That has called us to be a separated people and live a life that's pleasing unto him. That wants us to serve him. I mean, really be committed to serve him. Shouldn't that be just as important? Or more important? <clears throat> Jesus' idea of his commitment is this. He said in Matthew 10, 38, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. Do you see what the Lord's saying? He's telling us very clearly that if, if he is not number one in our hearts, if he is not number one in our lives, then we're not worthy of him. No, I didn't make it up. I just read it to you. That's what it says. He, he, he needs to be number one in every one of our lives. <clears throat> and also according to Jesus, the ultimate expression of his love or our love for him, I'm sorry, is our willingness to bear our cross. To do those things that he asked, asked us to do. And that simply means that we're willing to make a total commitment to the Lord Jesus. That you're not going to hold anything back. That you're going to be his completely. Come on, if you're going to bear your cross, you know where the cross went, right? It went to the crucifixion. Uh, a crucified life is a life that is totally committed. I mean, nailed to the cross. <laughs> Doing what God would have us to do. Holding nothing back. We really, need a, we really need people to step up their commitments to ministries in this church. We need to be more than, than, than just enough to get by. We, we need Sunday school teachers that will get on their faces daily and pray for the class members and be there for them. We need people to be dedicated to their ministry and not take it lightly. Uh, again, this is the work of God. Is there anything more important than the work of God? Is there anything more important than the eternal work of God? We need people to be willing, uh, that are willing to dedicate themselves to serve around here. If you haven't noticed, this is a big place. There's a lot to do around here. There's always something to do around here. Well, preacher, it seems like everything's always in such good shape around here. That's because there are people working tirelessly to get things done. 
tirelessly. So tirelessly it's made them tired. Because there is a lot to do. Well, you know, Pastor, I mean, you know, I already work, I already work a full-time job. Um, well, so does Brother Andrew. He works a full-time job. Getting things done around here. Making everything run good, well. And then he spends a lot of his... Uh, other time dedicating time to get things done around here so everything does look good so everything does get accomplished I know that um, I know that as long as he has worked here for me, in his church, served here in his church for me, I would have a hard time. I don't think I could even remember a time he's worked a 40-hour week. <clears throat> There's a lot to do. A lot to take care of. He, he, he does a large part of the work around here. And he works long days and into the night at times to get it accomplished. And then he works with the children of many of you. Taking extra time away from his own family, away from his own children. Trying to help them to walk with God and to be what God would have them to be. And he does it ungrudgingly. I work hard at getting him to go home. He doesn't listen very well. He's a little hard-headed. Did I say that out loud? But he wants to make sure everything is done right. And up to standard. He wants it to look good. He wants it to look sharp. He wants it to be clean. He wants it on and on I could go. He, he wants the vehicles to be gassed up. He wants the vehicles to look nice. He wants the yard to look nice. He wants the inside to look nice. He wants the outside to look nice. He wants all these things done. We really do need some people that will do some work around here and be dedica dedicated to do so. But when, we, when, when people volunteer to do things, now I'm thankful that, that we do have some that do certain things around here. I'm thankful, but we have to be able to trust that the work's going to get done. People have to be committed. I mean, they can't tell us they're going to do things and then not do it. We can't, we can't be dependent on someone that, that, that someone will be here and get it done and decide that they can't because they have the sniffles. We don't call in around here. We crawl in. We need committed servants of God. 
servants of God. Now I'm telling you, I think it'd be great if we had a building cleaning crews and lawn and landscape crews and outside building maintenance and inside building maintenance and lawn care for shut-ins and a lot of other ministries I can think about. But we can't have those if we don't have people that are committed to do the work. Well, preacher, I serve God. I come to church. That's not serving God. We're always in need of more nursery workers. And we really need the ones that are signed up to show up. Boy, this message is going over real well, isn't it? I can tell. It's just, man, everybody's going, man, boy, I hope he keeps this up. <laughs> if God's work is the most important work in the world, and it is, and it is, then we should treat it as church. We should be committed. We should be willing. Come on, we should be willing to put in a little extra time. We should be willing to get out of our comfort zone. We should be willing. No, no, no. We should be willing to, to be there when we're supposed to be there. We should be willing to do that. We should. Anyway, Joshua, he challenges the elders and the people to observe certain truths concerning God on down through chapter number 23. He challenges, them to, he challenges them to look at what the Lord has done and is doing in their lives. Now, you think about this. Well, no, stay with me here. Stay with me. Don't, don't check out. Please don't check out. Because <laughs> he says if they will consider the Lord, they're more likely to live the kind of lives that God wants them to live if they'll consider the Lord. You know, it's really a dangerous thing to just think about God when you're at church and not to consider Him regularly throughout the day, every day, and what He has done and what He is doing, truly. Look down at verse number uh, 9 there. In, in, in chapter 23. For the Lord hath driven out from you before the great nations and strong. But as for you, no man hath been able to stand before you unto this day. One man of you shall chase a thousand. For the Lord your God, he it is that fighteth for you. He, as he hath promised you, take good heed therefore unto yourselves that ye love the Lord your God. Else if you do anywise go back and cleave unto the remnant of these nations, even these that remain among you and shall make marriages with them and go in unto them and they to you, know for certainty that the Lord your God will no more drive out any of these nations from before you, but they shall be snares and traps unto you and scourges in your sides and thorns in your eyes until you perish from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. And behold, this day I'm going the way of all the earth and ye know in all your hearts and all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you are all are come to pass unto you and not one thing hath failed thereof. Well, while there's a lot of challenges given here the primary idea that Joshua was trying to convey is this if you serve the Lord he's going to bless you. And if you, if you disobey him, he's going to chasten you. And that applies to the people of God just as well today. The admonition really is very, very simple. You play, you pay. 
as a child of God, you have two possible ways of living your life. You can either live it within the confines of God's will and, and be blessed, or you can live it outside the will of God and be chastened. And the choice is entirely up to you. I said the choice is entirely up to you, what you decide to do. Then it's, 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 it's a, your choice to make. And, and the choice will, uh, come on, brain, the choice you make will be determined by your love for Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So the choice you make in all of this is going to be determined by your, by your love of Jesus Christ. Do we really love him? For doing what he did for us. Do we really love him? For all that he has done and all that he is doing. If we went over to Revelation chapter 2, uh, we'd see that the church of Ephesus had many commendable traits, but they lacked deep abiding love for Jesus. And we can say what we want to say, but our lives prove our level of love for Him. I said our lives prove our level of love for Him, wherever that level might be. He, he also uh, encouraged them to consider God's works. In, in, in this portion, Joshua reminds the nation of all the many great things that the Lord has done for them. And he challenges them to remember all the works that God has done on their behalf. And if they will remember his goodness, they will be more likely to serve him faithfully. Listen, the works of the Lord should be a great motivator for our service. I said, the work of God has already done in your life should be a great motivator for your service. When we stop to think of everything that he has done, it should challenge us to go deeper into our relationship with him. Come on, think of how he died for us. Think of how he loved us when we were lost. Think of how he came to us in our sins. Think of how he called us unto himself. Think of how he saved us when we asked him to save us. Think about how he forgave all our sins and failures. Think about how he adopted us into his family and how he has promised us a home in heaven and how he has met our needs and how he has blessed our lives and how he has never left us nor forsaken us. I mean, even though at times we have forsaken him, Think on his greatness and think on his, think on his goodness towards you. Let those things be motivator for you to renew your relationship to him this evening. He's done so much for us. It's incredible. But we also have to consider God's will in all of this. Joshua tells the people that it's God's will for them to clean up their lives. He tells them it's God's will for them to serve the Lord faithfully. No, it's God's will for us to do that. I'll say it again. It's God's will for us to clean up our lives. It's God's will for to serve him faithfully. It is the will of God. He makes the statement that he and his family are going to do just that. The people respond by expressing their desire to serve God because of his greatness and because of his blessing. Turn over to chapter 24. Uh, chapter 24, look down at verse number 14. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which, uh, which, were your, fa uh, which your father served, uh, that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will, we will serve the Lord. And, and the people answered, watch this. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. 
For the Lord our God, he it is that brought us up out, uh, brought us up in our fathers out of the land of Egypt uh, from the house of bondage, which did those great signs in our sight and preserved us in all the way wherein uh, we went and, and among all the people through whom we passed. God had done great things for him. I just want to challenge you this evening by reminding you that talking about serving the Lord is not just good preaching material. It is the will of God for your life. I'm not doing this just to have something to preach about. It is the will of God for your life to serve the Lord, to live your life for God. He wants you to search your life and get rid of anything that hinders your walk with Him. He wants you to be clean and to make the commitments to serve Him today. Joshua's attitude toward the situations found in verse number 15. He tells them that what they should be doing. Then he tells that regardless of what they do, he is going to serve God. What a lesson for us as individuals, I'm telling you. The sad fact of the matter is that not everyone is going to serve the Lord with total commitment. That's a sad fact, but it's true. There will always be those who will remain out on the fringes. They have no desire to sell out completely the the will of God in their lives. But I'm here to tell you tonight, the whole church does not have to get right. The whole church does not have to get right with God for you to get right with God. Doesn't have to happen that way. We need to lose the mindset that looks at others and measures ourselves against how they're doing. I'm telling you, no, no, your relatives, your fellow church members, your friends, your neighbors, your co-workers are not the standard not at all. Our, our standard is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God saved us to be like Him, and that is what we should strive for in this life. He went on in chapter 24 to challenge them to consider God's witness. Joshua makes a strange statement to the people. Well, let's read it. Look at verse number 19. And Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord. Chapter 24, verse 19. And Joshua said unto the people, you cannot serve the Lord, for he is an holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgression, uh, nor your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then he will turn and do you hurt and consume you after that he had done, after that he had done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, You're a witness against yourself that you have chosen, uh, chosen you the Lord to serve him. And they said, We're witnesses. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God, uh, the Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua really makes a strange statement here to the people. He tells them that they cannot serve the Lord. But as we look at it, the meaning really is very clear. He's reminding them that the Lord witnesses their lives. Listen to me. He's reminding them that the Lord is watching their lives, and they cannot have things both ways. They can't have it both ways. What do you mean, preacher? Well, well they, they, they cannot serve the Lord on one hand and serve false gods on the other hand. And his reminder is that the judgment, uh, uh, that the judgment of God will accompany, accompany such an action. And again, the people proclaim their desire to follow the Lord. We're going to find it. We're going to follow him. We're going to follow him. And may I remind you that the Lord is also watching your life today? We may not like to think about that, but it's absolutely the truth. 24-7, he knows where you are, knows what you're doing. And you can't have both uh, things both ways either. No, no, either you're serving the Lord with absolute commitment or you're living a life of hypocrisy. Right, 
it's just the way that it is. Many in our day are like the Israelites were during Elijah's day. Many are trying to walk the fence between devotion to God and living for themselves. Over in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, the Bible says, And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt you between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, Not a word. And the people answered him, not a word. When we warn people today, there's a lot of times we get that same response that the people that Elijah got from the people on Mount Carmel. They just say, not a word. So Joshua makes a covenant. Look at verse 25. Come on, we're, we're moving better than I even I thought we would. It says, so Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statue and an ordinance in, in uh, Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took great stone and set it up under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us, for it hath heard all the words of the Lord which spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart excuse me, every man unto his own inheritance. And it came to pass after these things that Joshua, the son of Mun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him in the border of the inheritance of Timnath Sirah, which is the Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gash. And, and Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that overlived Joshua in which had known, uh, in which had known all the works of the Lord that uh, he had done in Israel. And the bones of Joseph which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, uh, in a parcel of ground, which Jacob had bought uh, of the sons of Hamor, the, the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of silver. And it became the inheritance of the children of Joseph. And Eleazar, the son of Aaron, died. And they buried him in a hill that pertained to uh, Phinehas, his son, which was given uh, him in Mount Ephraim. So this covenant he, he made, it involved just one great stone. Uh, before Joshua died, he erects this stone as a monument to the fact that the people have sworn to follow the Lord. They, they swore it. And then thereafter, whenever they passed by, whenever they passed by that place, they would remember their oath and, and be certain that their lives were pleasing to the Lord their God. They'd see the stone. We know that we made this covenant. We know that we've made these commitments. We're going to keep doing what God would have us to do and please him. You know, we don't erect uh, stone markers to memorialize our oaths to God, but still we remember them. Don't we? Isn't it just as important? Do you remember when you promised the Lord that you'd faithfully serve Him? Do you remember when you promised the Lord that you were going to do things different? Do you remember when you promised the Lord that you were going to get this out of your life and that out of your life and you were going to start doing this and start doing that? Do you remember, do you remember when you told the Lord those things? Or have you forgot? Because I can assure you God hadn't forgot. He hadn't forgotten. Some of you promised to be more faithful to the Lord, to pray more, to read your Bibles more, to witness for Him. You, you, you made that promise, but have you carried it out? And you may have forgotten about it, but He hasn't. Are you doing all the things that you told the Lord that you were going to do? 
And if not, today would be a good day to make that right with God. No, no, you understand that, that even not doing good, listen, even not doing good is sin. Oh, come on, James chapter 4, verse 17, therefore, him the, uh, therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him it is sin. What the Bible says. So anyway, in all of this, it involves some gravestones. We read it there. The book really closes with three funerals. Three funerals. Let me touch this real briefly. And we're, we're, going, we're going to go eat pie. Amen. Amen. I knew that would wake somebody up. Anyway. And the funerals really can speak to us today. Um, I think that we can think first about the, the faithfulness. Uh, because the first gravestone that's mentioned is that of Joshua himself. And his uh, his tombstones, uh, come on, come on, come on, come on, brain. Uh, His tombs, mm, his grave site, (laughs) I get something out. It it spoke about the faithfulness of God to his people. What do you mean, preacher? Well, God used this man, Joshua, to bring the people into the promised land. And God had used them. God had used him to lead them in the right way. And so through the life of Joshua, God had proven himself to be a faithful God. Those who serve the Lord will learn the truth that God is faithful. He is faithful. And he will keep his word and he will fulfill his promises to you. Romans chapter 4 verse 21, the Bible says, And being fully persuaded that when he, what he had promised, he was able also to perform. If you will walk in his will and you will serve him, then he will in turn bless you beyond measure. Because our God is faithful. For sure. And then we see a gravestone of fulfillment. Uh, Verse number 32 again, In the bones of Joseph... I love it. Which the children of Israel brought up out of Egypt, buried they in Shechem, in a parcel of ground which Jacob bought the sons of Hamor. The second mention is, belonged to a man who had died many centuries before in the land of Egypt. And while Joseph um, was on his deathbed, he, he made the following prediction in uh, Genesis chapter 50, verse 24. It says, And Joseph said unto his brethren, I die. And God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land, that is the land which he swore to Abram, to Isaac, and to Jacob. And Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and ye shall carry up my bones from hence. So Joseph died, being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, several hundred years later, here we are, a grave is dug, a coffin is lowered, and the body's placed in the ground that was promised hundreds of years before that time. I really can almost imagine that if you listen very, very clearly to the grave of Joseph after he was buried there, you might heard that old pile of bones just sigh and say, I told you so. I told you God was going to do it. I told you God would be faithful. I told you it was going to happen. And the lesson there is that we serve a God who is able to make that which seems impossible a reality for his children. God is still a God of miracles. Absolutely so. 
Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. When he, when God makes a promise to, to, us, uh, to us to use us and to bless us, if we will serve him, then you can count on him being able to do just that, just as he has promised to do. And then we see a, a gravestone of finality, if I can call it that, because uh, the last gravestone marks the grave of Eleazar. We know that he was the son of Aaron, the first high priest, and his grave is a grave of finality because the death of Eleazar marks the changing of the guard in Israel. All the old-timers are gone or passed off the scene. All those that came out of Egypt and all those that came out of the wilderness are gone. All those that God used in such a mighty fashion back during that time, they're now dead. So now it is time for a new generation. Now it is time for a new generation to pick up the mantle of service and do something for the Lord. I have to say that I was uh, blessed this Saturday morning as I came into the building and went into the gymnasium and the kitchen and I saw a younger generation handling all the work in there. No, it it blessed this preacher's heart. It's really a shame when old soldiers pass, old soldiers of the Lord pass off the scene. But really, it's even greater shame when those who are left behind do not lift up the mantle and carry on for the Lord. Israel turned to idols after the death of these great leaders. And, and so too, it seems more and more that the modern church has forsaken the path that's laid down those who have gone before God help us to be like Elisha who lifted up the mantle of Elijah and cried out to God, you did it for Elijah, do it for me. I know it's not word for word, but that's basically what he said. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? So where are our Elijahs this evening? Where are those who are going to stand up and be counted for Jesus? Where are those that are tired of business as usual and want to see God moving in power in the midst of his people? He can still do so. Where are those who are willing to pay the price of personal sacrifice and holiness that they might be bright torches in the hands of God? When those who had known the glory of God died out in Israel, those that were left behind turned to other gods. They turned to wickedness. My friends, there's a generation in our midst who know nothing of the power of God. They know of a church filled with people who claim to love Jesus, but who deny him by the lives that they live. They no longer see him moving in power in the services. We need some this evening who are willing to pay the price for the power of God. 
who will step forward and get themselves in these altars and call on God until he moves in their lives. Forever changing them. Forever changing their world. The God of Elijah is not dead. He's not dead. He's alive. He's well. The problem with our generation is that there are few Elijahs, few Moses, few Joshuas. Those that are just willing to completely sell out to God. God is still willing to use anyone who will make himself or herself available to him. Absolutely so. Is that person you? Would you do that? The famous evangelist D.L. Moody, as a young man, he heard uh, Henry Varley say, the world has yet to see what God can do with a life that's totally surrendered to him. And Mr. Moody said, I'll be that man. And he was. Sold out to God. And God used him to touch two continents for Jesus. I really believe God's still looking for someone who will come and say, I'll be that man. I'll be that woman. I'll do that. I'll step up. And I ask again, is that person you? It's time to step up. A lot of work to be done. A lot of lives to be reached. What are you going to do about it? Let's stand. Stand with me, will you? Thank you so much for being so patient. Being so attentive. Thank you. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. The altar's open. You need to come. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that you give us. Thank you for being a God that cares and wants to use us. A God that's there for us. You're looking for people like that. Men. Women, boys, and girls. You're looking for those that will just make that total commitment. Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I mean, whatever you want me to do. I'll go. I'll work. I'll treat your work the way that I should treat your work. as the most important work in the world. Father, I don't know who you've spoke to and how you've spoken to people. I just pray that your will would be done these next few minutes around the altars. You need servants. Might your will be done in every life, we pray. And thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Many have come to the altar. You need to come, why don't you? Why don't you come spend a minute with God? Are you where you need to be? Are you serving how you should? And if not, how come? I mean, besides your choice not to, how come? We need more laborers. We need more servants. Are you willing to do what God would have you to do? 
just let him have his way. Whatever he wants. <laughs>